Okay, so um, today I want to so I want to give you some details on uh, the uh, book that I'm going to be kind of going out of today. There's two books that we're using. Um, we're using the Systematic Theology book uh, by Wayne Grudem. Um, and today we're going to be exploring kind of a companion to that book, which is the historical theology book um, written by Greg Allison. Um, so I'm going to say that again. There's two books. If you, for the next couple of months, years, if you want to follow along, if you were to have this book, right? If you were to have this historical theology book and you had read through it last night, then nothing that I say today would be new to you. I am robbing from this man's work to teach this class this morning, right? So, like, that's one thing that I want. So, after our discussion kind of prior to us kind of getting into the actual official class, um, like, find, find men that you trust their understanding of the text, right? And then find resources that you can rely on and trust to help you in your own understanding. This is foundational to all that we do in the church. When you come and you listen to preaching, when you come and you listen to teaching, you are trusting, in a sense, the person who's sharing. Right? Now, there are are key things that we must do to make sure that we're not led astray in this. Right? And that's do what? Press into the text. Press into Scripture. That's our default. When we hear Dustin preach or when you hear me teach, like the thing that you should be doing is pressing into the Scripture. What we've been doing the last couple of weeks is identifying the why that underlies that reality. Right? Why? So one of the one of the fundamental things when we think about that question of why is well what should we then press into right why are we pressing into the book of Romans or why are we pressing into the gospels why the four gospels that we have and not other books right like that should be a question that we ask how do we know that the words that we read when we read scripture are in fact the words of God How do we identify those things, right? So one thing that we should ask ourselves, like one, like when I when I consider this question, one thing that I think is reasonable and rational is for us to ask, well, how have other people done it? How have other people approached this particular issue or this particular problem? And so, so then, how about we do this? If we extrapolate that out, how about we look and say, how has the church done this? Throughout history, how have God's people tended to approach this problem from the beginning to now? Because if they've been doing it consistently and properly, that's what's brought us here today, then what we would imagine is that if we follow the same kind of principles, the same kind of patterns that the people who came before us followed, that we would at least be walking within the lines of orthodoxy, right? Like, hey, y'all have heard the word orthodox before, right? Some, for something to be orthodox, that's the normal, that's the regular, like that's this kind of the standard, right? That's the guardrails in which we would have our theology would fall within an orthodox theology, right? As opposed to heretical, right? Y'all have heard the word heretical before, I'm sure, or a heretic, right? Like this is somebody that falls outside of orthodoxy, 
Right? So how do we know in any particular belief that we hold that we fall in the normal stream of orthodoxy? And should that concern us? Should we hope to fall in line with those things? Or should we be thinking to ourselves, I want to come up with some new theology, some new doctrine. Right? How do we know that that's not what we're supposed to be doing? Right? Well, I would say that Scripture warns us against those type things. Tells us not to go chasing after every wind of doctrine. Like Scripture lays out this idea that there is a pattern in place that we should be looking for and identifying. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to do a lot of reading. Um, This would be chapter 2 of that historical theology book that I'm going to be taking much of this from this morning. Um, so, and we're actually going to take the pattern that he lays out in this book. So, I've mentioned this in past classes. We're going to be looking at a particular idea. We're going to be looking at a particular doctrine of the church. We've been looking at the canon of Scripture. That is a doctrine that the church holds to. And we're going to be exploring that in the following week, how that has looked throughout the history of the church. In this particular case, we're going to go back beyond the other side of the cross, and we're going to look at how the Jews approach this idea of the canon of Scripture as well, because that's going to give us a good foundation for where we should where we should kind of start from. So as we do this normally, though, we're going to look at doctrine, we're going to look at the history of that doctrine. As we explore, which is what we're doing today, the history of that doctrine, we're going to look at four major areas. We're going to look at the early, the era of the early church, right? So this is going to be from the time of Jesus for a couple of hundred years after, right? We're going to talk early church history. And then we're going to explore um, the established church, right? So like after a couple of hundred years, the church has found its legs, its roots have grown down deep in the world, like no longer is it just being tossed around and scattered about, but the church begins to take root everywhere. And we're going to look at what the particular doctrine looked like in that time. We're going to look at historical... We're going to, I'm going to be quoting a lot from people of particular time periods along the way. Again, get this book if you want to fact check because this book has references to all of those quotations that I'm going to be making so that you could dig further in if you so desired. And I would encourage you to do that. Like Dig into these things. These are important matters for why it is that we believe the things that we believe. So we've got the early church. We've got the established church in in the text you'll actually find him classifying this as the medieval church right and then we've got the reformation and the in the in the time period surrounding the reformation we're going to be spending particularly in each class some some good effort uh, in this because you are in this church today because of the events that took place there that was a significant time period for us as believers who follow in the protestant Reformation, right? Like you're not in a Catholic church this morning. You're in a in a in a Protestant church this morning. So why here and not in a Catholic church? Some of those questions, some of those questions should be fleshing out in these in these early studies that we're doing, right? Today we're going to see part of the reason why you're in a you're in a Protestant church and not in a Catholic church. And that's the books that you hold to determine the doctrine that you hold to, 
Right? So as we explore the, the Reformation era, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about those differences there. And then the fourth era that we're going to talk about is the modern era. So after the Re- Reformation took place, the churches continued on. Um, in what ways has the, have those doctrines or have doctrines that we will be exploring evolved in those times? Here's the thing that I want us to, to keep in mind is that we should be looking for all along the way no change. Right? Do y'all get that? Does that make sense? Like, I want to make sure that that particular piece makes sense. That we want to be, we want to see that from the beginning of the church to now, what they believed is what we believed. Right? Why is that important? Why is it important for us that what the apostles taught, we believe? They, they were as close to the source as you could come. Right? And Jesus sent them out preaching the gospel. You are here today because of the events that took place there. Because they went, you now have the opportunity to believe and to know Him. Right? So what they were teaching, you would hope that we can hold those same things. Right? And that there was no change that happened along the way. Now, what we're going to claim is that we're going to claim that sometime along the way in some significant areas, the church's understanding moved away from the original understanding, and then the Reformation took place. And in the Reformation, the Reformers' goal was to get back to the original understanding. Right? And what we would, what we would claim in the, in the Protestant church today is that they did that effectively. Right? So that, so that we can be comfortable in where we're moving and, and in the, in the history in which we're pressing into, that we're not making the same errors that we would say the Catholic Church has made, right? So these are going to be things that we dig into uh, today. And specifically, as we look at these four uh, kind of time periods throughout history, the history of the church, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we're, going to, we're going to be looking today at how that has affected the canon of Scripture. When I say the canon of Scripture, I'm talking about the books that we have in our Bible Today, So the Protestant canon is composed of 66 books. I'm going to say that again. You probably know that. You open your Bible up. How many books is in there? Unless you've got one that's got, and it'll probably say it on the front, like with Apocrypha or something like that. Then if you were to count your books up, you would, you would find that, your, uh, that the Bible that you have has 66 books included in it. <coughs> the canon of the Catholic Church is more extensive than this, and we're going to look at that uh, today. So first thing that I want us to do is I want us to look back, um, and I want us to look at the canon of the early church. So I'm going to be, again, reading a lot this morning just to try to cover. It's going to feel, it's going to feel heavy, right? Like I want you all to get that this one is going to feel like last week. It's going to be a lot of information. One of the reasons that I'm recording it is so that you can go back and listen to it again. Right? Because I understand that there's going to be a lot and it's going to feel overwhelming us going through this. Like, I'm anticipating that this feels over, 
overwhelming in some regard because this is new to you all and this is a lot to cover in one sitting, right? And I've done my best to try to compress this down. If you were to go and read this chapter in this book, it is significantly more than what I'm going to be borrowing from and reading today, right? I'm gonna, I've been trying to get the highlights of this so that you can get an idea of some of the details along the way and as well the approach. I would recommend to all of you to go out and get this book. It is well worth having um, in your own personal uh, library, um, especially if you are wanting to uh, explore the history of the particular understandings of different doctrines throughout church history. So, um, and, and while we, while this, so we're going to now kind of step into this. So, the canon of the early church, the writings that composed the Jewish scriptures, now called the Old Testament, were fixed and had been for several centuries prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. So, the the Old Testament. What we're saying here is that what the Jews held to be their scripture was fixed and that we can explore that historically to know what the Jews held as scripture. Follow me? That if you were to go and explore, that you could find with good accuracy what books they held to be scripture prior to the coming of Christ, prior to the establishment of the church. This is important because Jesus and the apostles were preaching from that book, right? So that's something that's important for us to have. Indeed, the canon of Jewish scriptures had come to a close. That means there was no more additions being made at the time of the writing of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther around about the time 435 B.C. That was about 435 years before the coming of Christ. Uh, No other writings had been nor could have been added to the Hebrew Bible, that's the Jews' Bible, in the intervening period because divine inspiration of the prophets had closed, right? There were no prophets preaching and writing in the 400-year time period between the last book of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament era. Josephus, this is a, this is a man who lived uh, around about the same time period that the early church was being established. He was a Jew. He was a Jewish historian. He noted 22 divinely inspired books in the Hebrew canon. Five, and, and here's the ones that he listed, right? Five books of Moses, 13 prophetic books, four books containing hymns and precepts, um, later Jewish reckonings of the Hebrew Bible typically listed 24. So Josephus listed 22. Others would have 24 books uh, distributed in three divisions, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. These included Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the Twelve Minor Prophets, <coughs> uh, Ruth, Psalms, uh, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentation, Daniel, Esther, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah Chronicles, <clears throat> although it contained obvious differences. Now, this is what I want. Us, this is what I, one of the one of the points that I want that I want us to make is that if you were to go back and explore those books, like if you were to go f- 
find some digitized copies of these things that were that were representational of this information. You would look at them. You would find differences between the books that you have in yours, the breakdowns of these books, and what they have in theirs. Um, but it should. It, uh, I want to. I want to note this. Although it contained obvious differences in order and grouping from the Old Testament, with which today's church is familiar, all of the books that we consider to be canonical were present and together composed the Word of God for the Jewish people and the early church. So what am I saying there? Is that there is good evidence to support the books that we hold as being the books of the Old Testament because the Jews were using those in the days of Jesus and prior to the days of Jesus. And and the books that we would call the Apocrypha, which the Catholic Church would hold in theirs, were not held in the same regard as the books that we are uh, that we are looking at. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of I'm gonna quote a couple of different guys along the way with this. So this is um, Tertullian. Um, this is a, a Listen to what he has to say. So he's uh, speaking of the church here, and he says, The law and the prophets unites in one volume with the writing of the evangelists and the apostles from which she drinks in her faith. And when he says drinks in her faith, he means what she receives in her faith. Another early church uh, father, and when I say early church father, this is just the term that tends to be used for some of the kind of the the more well-known preachers, early preachers um, in the church. So another one, uh, Arrhenius, he noted this, I've pointed out the truth. So this is a direct quote from him, again, translated to English. I've pointed out the truth and shown the preaching of the church, which the prophets proclaimed, but which Christ brought to perfection, and the apostles have handed it down, from which the church, receiving these truths, and throughout all the world alone, preserving them in their integrity, uh, has transmitted them to her sons. It was important for the church to know what the Word of God was. And we can really see this, this, is, this evidence bearing fruit because when heretical preachers were preaching, they would use, like the, the legitimate preachers would use Scripture itself to combat them. So we can see that, that even for them, they, 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 the early church felt it important to start figuring out what is the Word. Because these preachers over here are preaching heresies and they're not preaching from the Word that we're preaching from, right? So they're, they found it important for them um, to, to start figuring these things out. Uh, another thing that's worth noting here, uh, just for the sake of it and not going past us, um, the early church didn't have the Bibles like we have at our disposal today right like there was a printing press that every single person didn't have one so they relied very heavily on like the spoken word right oral tradition that type thing that's not to say that there wasn't there we have scripture today because they were writing and keeping written records um it should just be noted that that not everybody could whip open their their new testament not everybody could pull open the old testament Right, so like I, I don't want that to to pass us, especially in this early church period. Like, let's not think that every single person had a Bible in front of them. Um, most definitely, preachers had scripture that they were preaching from. So Tertullian again uh, held that doctrine agrees with the apostles and the churches. Those 
molds, and this is a quote, those molds, original sources of faith, must be reckoned for truth and undoubted, undoubtedly contain that which the church receives from the apostles, the apostles from Christ, and Christ from God. So I want you to see the, the way that the church was thinking as quoted from, from one of the early church preachers here, this is the way that they were thinking about Scripture itself, right? So talking about the apostles and the teaching of the apostles, the doctrine that the churches had, they even called them, uh, he even calls them apostolic churches. Um, they contain that which the church received from the apostles, right? So the church, the next step back, the apostles, the apostles from Christ and Christ from God, right? So they, they have this chain which is men don't just make up what God says. Follow? Right? That's the way the church was thinking in the, er, in the time of the early church. You don't get to make up what God says. The early church said, what did the apostles say? Right? What did the apostles say? So as a, as a way of thinking about what should be in Scripture, one of the things that we should be saying is, well, what did the apostles say? Much of, not all of, much of the New Testament is written by apostles. Right? So if we're asking ourselves the question about the New Testament, what did the apostles say, then that should help us at least get a large portion of that uh, that we hold now um, uh, kind of hammered out there. Um, so continue on. The earliest Christian writings outside of our New Testament contain this practice of elevating the words of Jesus and the writings of the apostles, recognizing them with the authority of divine revelation. Uh, for ex- uh, One example um, was a reference by Polycarp to a portion of Paul's letters to the Ephesians where he refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. So we see the early church um, and the early church preachers referencing New Testament text as scripture itself the letter of Barnabas quotes Jesus words in Matthew chapter 22 verse 13 um, and uses kind of the the way of referencing it as it is written which was reserved for scripture itself so we see that the early church referred to the books that we would now hold in the New Testament um, the writings of Paul um, as being as being elevated alongside scripture itself so what we're asking ourselves here and the answers that we should be coming to is what was the early church thinking about scripture does our view of scripture line up with the way that they were identifying scripture itself all right. So, and, and this is just further support that it does. What we talked about last week, as far as how we kind of come to this conclusion of what is Scripture, what I want us to get is the early church was thinking the same way, and they brought two basic principles out of this. So, two basic ideas that as we explore the ideas and thoughts of the early church that we can see, and these are these should line up with what we think as well. When it comes to what should be in the canon, one is that apostolic authority, which is, does the writings have an apostle as its author? If not, is an apostle associated with the writing, right? And then also antiquity. Um, it, it, and when, when we think about the second point, so the first, did was it, was it written by an apostle? The second, um, antiquity. They're asking this question, what did those who came before us think, Right? 
That's the idea of antiquity. That's what we're doing today. When we're exploring ourselves, we're kind of examining that particular train of thought. We're asking, what did the apostles say? And when we're asking ourselves, what has the church looked at? We're looking and saying, what has the church historically, what has antiquity for us said about these particular topics? So now I'm going to get into some dates, and I'm going to get into some lists, okay? So be prepared for that. Um, These are not complete. These are also um, fragmentary, like even historically, like if you were to go and look look for these particular documents, you're going to find that, that, that... uh, time itself does damage to anything written down. Um, so the fact that we have this evidence at all is a blessing from God that we can know these particular things. But one thing to note is that the, is that just like if you were to write something down today and then a hundred years somebody found what you wrote versus what I wrote, right? Like there's lots of people writing. There's there's lots of that that's just lost to history. So this is a sampling of what has not been completely lost to history and to time. So when we're thinking about the canon of Scripture, the books that we hold, and we say, well, is there any historical evidence for the books that we hold from the time of the church to now? Um, the first list, like the first composed list um, that, we can, uh, that we can see is from around 170 A.D., um, this would be less than a century after the last, uh, the last apostle. This is definitely within the realm of the early church. Um, this is called the uh, Muratorian Canon, and it consisted of the the following list. Now, I want to note in this too that there are some things that it that it lists that we would not list, and this is why again I say this is fragmentary. And another thing, it does it fails to list things that we would list. Um, again, this is a, a fragment, so it's possible. Um, that it had these others that we would hold to, but it's uh, it, that would be just speculation itself. So here's the list of what we can see there. The four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, so that's the book of Acts, the 13 letters of Paul, the book of Jude, First and Second John, Revelation. Um, it excludes Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. Well, I say excludes. It, it's, it, the, the list is a, is a fragment, so it may, very well may have included these, but if it is, it's lost to... The history. Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 3rd John. It included the wisdom of Solomon and the revelation of Peter. Those are non canonical by our definition today. <coughs> Another list um, that's, that dates to about the 3rd century. This is from an early church preacher. Um, Origen. Um, Origen's can- canon consisted of the four gospels. Here's one of the things that I want us to take from this this idea here is that what are, what are these things holding common? These would give us good grounds for believing that these should be there, right? Like when we're thinking about antiquity, like let's find the commonalities. So he has the four Gospels. Um, he has the, the book of Acts. He has the 13 letters of Paul. He has James, 1 Peter, 1 John, Revelation. He's questionable on Second Peter. He's questionable on Jude. Questionable on Second and Third John. Um, and he's questionable on Hebrews. Now, something that I want us to get from from this, um, because a lot of times when we think about this and we see different inconsistencies, like somebody didn't believe that Hebrews was supposed to be in the Bible, or somebody thought that that was disputed. Like, like what if what if I said that to you today? What if I said that I didn't think Hebrews should be in the Bible? What would you say? Why not? Why not? Right? And then what if I gave you a good answer to that? Would that be 
acceptable. Now here, I want to make clear that I believe that Hebrews should be in there, right? <laughs> but here's the thing that should strike us is this, this, that they were asking hard questions. This is, this, this, the books that you hold in your hands today didn't just, it wasn't just blindly thrown in there, right? Like this wasn't an amalgamation of randomness here. Is that people were, have been asking hard questions about this book long before any of you or any of your ancestors were even alive, right? So people have been thinking about this. So if we're not thinking like this, shame on us, right? Shame on us if we don't think hard about things of importance. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we fail to do that. We get busy with time. We get, like, life just gets busy and we don't ask hard questions. One of the things that I want us to be encouraged about, even in the differences that we find in what they would hold, is that they were thinking hard, strong thoughts about God's Word itself. What should make up God's Word? And we should be thinking about that as well. We should be digging into these things. Again, the early part of the 4th century, um, Asubius divided his classification of books into four categories. Accepted books, disputed books, spurious works, and absurd works. For his accepted books, he had the Gospels, he had the book of Acts, he had the 13 letters of Paul, 1 John, 1 Peter, book of Revelation. Um, <laughs> it's got a note here that said it may be spurious. It's a good thing that you would ask about the book of Revelation when you're asking about, did God write this, right? Like, that's a, it's a good thing that the church asked themselves the question, should that be in there, right? Like, should that be in there? Because there's some hard-to-understand things in there, right? So it makes me happy that they were at least like, what's up with this book? Okay, so disputed works, the book of James, Second Peter, Second and Third John, the book of Jude. He, had, he lists a lot of spurious books there. Um, it should be clear that nearly all of the New Testament writings that we consider canonical were viewed similarly by the early church. The four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, the 13 letters of the Apostle Paul, 1 Peter, 1 John, um, and at least in many uh, circles, the book of Revelation. Uh, several writings that, were now considered, that are now considered canonical, James, 2 Peter, 2 John, <coughs> and 3 John, Jude, uh, Hebrews, uh, they were on the fringe of the early church's canon. Um, they were they were still trying to figure out like is is this something that should be in there? Um, and then there are other writings that were on these kind of fringe areas that the church ultimately uh, ultimately didn't include. Um, the letter of Barnabas, the shepherd of uh, Hermas, the didact, uh, and several other works um, that appeared uh, with consistency. Um, in some lists of canonical writings are not in our book today. Um, the first experience, or the first appearance of a list of New Testament writings that corresponds exactly with the canon as it is known today was Athanasius 39th letter. This was in A.D. 367, 367 years A.D. Uh, this book contains everything that we would hold New Testament-wise to be canonical. Um, this was also, uh, his New Testament canon was officially endorsed at the Council of Hippo in A.D. 393, A.D. 393. Um, Two other important church meetings endorse this same list. So we find that this canon really gets gets um, hammered out and 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 finalized 
um, in the in the you know the 300s, the late 300s, early 400s. Um, so the Third Council of Carthage in 397, the Fourth Council of Carthage in 1419. It should be noted. I want y'all to take this away that both the Protestant and the Catholic Church recognize the same New Testament canon, right? So we hold the same canon in the New Testament as the Catholic Church holds. Alright, so although the canon of the New Testament has remained unchanged since the latter part of the 4th century, that is not the case with the Old Testament canon. Beginning in the 3rd century before Christ, I won't, we're gonna, it's gonna take us two, two times to get through this. Um, cause I don't wanna rush through this intermediate piece. Um, so next week we'll, we'll, I want us to pick up um, I want us to pick up here. I want us to, to look at where the Old Testament... So New Testament, we agree with the Catholic Church on what should be in Scriptures. The Old Testament, not the case. And I want us to explore next week why it is and what events led to that. And, and I want us... Because this is, this is going to be one of those foundational moments in history for the emergence of the Protestant Church. Right. That's why you're sitting in this building today. And I want us to explore that um, and not feel rushed through it at, at the end today. I want us to explore that next week. So next week, come ready to be thinking about the differences between us and the Catholic Church. Right. And those differences don't lie. Well, I say they don't lie in the New Testament. We're going to find that, that there are some variations there. And that comes from translation. And that comes from the philosophy that the Reformers had about where should we be looking to get God's Word. Should we be looking for translations of translations? Or should we be looking to the original text themselves? So we're going to explore that in more detail uh, next week. I know that was a ton of info. We did not even get through... Um, Maybe we maybe we made it halfway through, um, but uh, I don't want to pour on uh, another thirty minutes in the next five minutes. So <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll put that off till next week.